Good morning, good morning. <laughs> Hope everyone's having a good morning. Thank you for coming and, and being with us this morning uh, as we're about to get ready to worship. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how everyone's morning's going, but I, I have a feeling it's about to get a little bit better. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- this morning, just, just a, a really great time of prayer. Just a, a sense of just, you know, when we first got saved, that just that, that awe and wonder uh, and just love for the God of the universe who cares so much about us. You know, just, yeah, this morning I just wanted just a, a refreshing, just a, 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 a almost just falling in love all over again. That, that's my, my heart's desire this morning, that we just, we just come and we worship God and just remember what it was like at the beginning just a rekindling of that of that love that passion so if you just stand with me I'll, I'll pray and we'll just we'll just begin to worship heavenly father we just we just thank you thank you for your love for your grace we thank you that we don't have to work through our own strength that our, our, our problems, all the things that we face, we can rely on you. That our strength comes from you. It doesn't come from our work. It doesn't come from the work of any other man or any other resource because it all comes from you, God. We just lay everything down this morning and we just worship the God of the universe. The God who <laughs> loves us, who first loved us. God, you are worthy. We love you. Amen. Pray. 
something. Um, I had this scripture pop in my head. It's uh, Psalm 18, 29. Um, and the sense that, that it came with was the word breakthrough. So often we're like, we're waiting. You hear this all the time. Lord, we're waiting on you. Um, and the version of scripture, so often we, when we read that, what we think is we're, we're sitting around until he does something, right? And, and it's a different phrase. It's like that, that phrase is he's, we're waiting on you in the same sense that servers wait on a table. They're attentive to it, and they're leaning in, and they're, they're going after it. So this is what Scripture says in this verse. It says, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap, leap over a wall. Remember the first time I read that, I thought, run against a troop, that's violent, right? That's, uh, that's crazy, actually. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Just one person running against a troop of, you know, the enemy. And then I read the second part, and it says, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. And I, as soon as I read that, I heard the word escape, except it wasn't from God, right? It's the same concept. It's just two versions of the same thing. For by you, that's the key phrase. I can't do this in my own. If I do this in my own strength, I'm going to run out, and then I'm going to be dead. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to look good for a second, and then I'm going to be toast, <laughs> right? Um, and I don't know about you, but I've done that before. But it says, for by you. I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. The sense isn't leaping over a wall to an escape. The sense is there's an enemy stronghold, and I leap over the wall, and I take it. There's a New Testament passage that's very interesting. It says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And that's a strange, strange phrase, right? Because, you know, Jesus is meek and mild, and it's like, well, he's really not mild at all. And and maybe we don't understand the word meek because it doesn't mean weak, right? And the picture that that God has given me in my heart this morning is a reminder to you that the kingdom of heaven has already, it's it's there. You don't have to go get it. It's there. And all of that is your inheritance by what Jesus did on the cross and by you accepting him into your life, submitting to his lordship. Now you are a son and a daughter and you're supposed to be about your father's business. And you can't be about your father's business if you're constantly distracted, beaten down, discouraged. All of those words are not, they're the antithesis of leaning in and and seeking the kingdom, right? And so the sense I had this morning is, one, quit feeling sorry for yourself. So stop it, (laughs) right? Just stop doing that. That's not helpful. And then understand that maybe the advance that you're not making is because you're somehow trying to do it in your own strength. And so it's time for you to say, Lord, I can't do this. But your expectation is not for me to sit back and wait. There must be an attitude inside of you and I, right? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in our mortal body. If that's the case, then you have to take some of these things by faith. You have to believe that it has been provided for you and begin to have an attitude of leaning in and pressing forward and going, I will not back down because God has promised these things to me. So whatever that looks like for you, if it's healing, if it's financial breakthrough, if it's relationship breakthrough, whatever the case may be, if it's it's dealing with depression and discouragement, all those D words, right? Whatever that looks like for you. As we go into this song, part of this is I want to challenge you to lean in to... By you, Lord, I can run through a troop. I can take an attitude of of violence toward the enemy because he can't stand against you in me. And as I do that, 
there's, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Something begins to happen when I do that. And, and Jesus' prayer, when we ask Jesus to pray, the disciples ask Jesus to pray. One of the phrases he said is, my kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. In other words, there's an inheritance up there that hasn't often, often been realized here. Who is that on, though? Is that on God not providing it? Or is it on us not leaning in and taking an attitude and saying, you know what, I'm going to go after this. So I want to pray for us. And whatever those things are that are discouraging you, I want to challenge you. By you, God, leaning into Him, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall and I can take on a fortress that set itself against God. Amen? So Jesus, thank you for what you did, Lord. You made a way where there was no way. Lord, we have an inheritance, Lord, from you. Lord, your word says in James that you, Lord, it's talking about wisdom, but it describes your nature. It says if we have need that we can ask, Lord, because you give generously to all who ask without finding fault. In other words, it's by grace, Lord. It's not by any merit on my half. But, Lord, there must be an attitude that I lean into and say, Lord, I am a son. I am a son of the Most High God, and I have an inheritance that has been paid for by such a heavy price. That it, that it, something about that means I need to lean in and go after the things that you have, not just for me, but for my family, Lord, for my city, Lord, for my region, for my nation, Lord. Whatever issues are distracting me, Lord, can keep me from the fight that you've called me to. So, Lord, I lean in. I lean in and I begin to take this thing, Lord. I begin to take what is rightfully mine because of what you did on the cross, because of the inheritance you've given me. I receive it, Lord, and I lean in, I push in, I run through a troop, I leap over a wall. Lord, but it's in you that I do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
desire. I pour my love on you, Lord. 
goodness and your grace. Lord God, we just we just want to say thank you this morning. Thank you for being a good father in our lives. Again, thank you for, for being with us this morning. Um, <laughs> we're glad to have you here. We've got, we've got a lot of things coming up in the near future. One of the things, we have a range day coming up. Uh, this will be this coming Saturday. Uh, Mark Williams is the one heading that up. I'm going to pass it over to him, let him give more details about that day, what to expect, and uh, yeah, here we go. That makes for a little bit of a weird transition, <laughs> but so so well, last year sometime, a couple of the ladies expressed that they would like to learn how to safely handle some firearms, so <laughs> I wonder who one of them was, <laughs> but uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to have us a range day this coming Saturday the 6th. 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the, uh, you, you're going to hear it called different things, Dothan Gun Club. It's now called the Talon Range of Dothan. There is a little bit of online stuff you have to do. It takes maybe 15 minutes if you're slow like me. Um, so just, um, and that is on the website. The link is on the website, the instructions, the address. We're going to meet there at 9 o'clock. And uh, we're going to get a couple of bays. I'm going to take the uh, people that don't know how to shoot or people that are inexperienced and just want to work on some fundamental stuff. There's not going to be any ego going. I am not one of these. I, I've been shooting a long time, but I'm not one of these that says, this is the way. Okay? Guess what? Lori's hands aren't shaped like my hands. They aren't as big as mine. We are, we're all different. We know that. We're integral parts of the body of Christ. But, uh, so we're going to tailor instruction to the individual. Uh, there's going to be a bay for the more experienced shooters. Um, David Hale and maybe someone else I hadn't talked to him to verify is going to be there. We're going to have um, Dave Woodham there and, and 
he's got plenty of tourniquets. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but, you know, for something like this, safety is important to have trained medical personnel on site. We got plenty of medical personnel, but we got, uh, we got one who uh, deals with the trauma on a regular basis. Nothing's going to happen, but we're going to be prepared anyway. What I would like you all to do, though, if you are interested, come see me after the service uh, or my contact information is on the, uh, webs on the uh, notice on the website. Uh, but I do need a head count by today, by today, uh, the end of today. Um, did I miss anything? All right. What? Oh, yeah. So Dave keeps reminding me of this, and I keep forgetting. So if for the people that want to shoot the 22 caliber pistols, ammunition is going to be provided. Um, people that, uh, between myself Dave Hale and uh, Alan Mitchell, we're going to provide a variety of 9mm pistols, but for the 9mm, you're going to need to provide your own ammunition. I have, well, I, I can't say I have plenty, but I have enough that I can provide ammunition at 30 cents a round. That, sound, that might sound like a, a lot, but uh, it works out to $15 a box if you want a whole box. It's about the same price you can get at Academy. If you want to get your own, it don't matter. I'll bring what would be plenty for that day if people want to buy it. Um, and it'll be a $10 admittance fee for the range, for the uh, day at the range. Now, it's scheduled 9 to 12, but if there's people that want to stay longer, we'll send someone to get a bucket of chicken and I'll stay. <laughs> okay? Because I want this to be beneficial. I want it to benefit people. All right, so y'all come see me if you got questions. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, you think this is the first time I've been up here speaking, but uh, we're going to continue on. Our next, we got Be Still Dothan. That's going to be on the 9th. Um, I've never been to this event because it's a woman's event, but I've heard many a great thing about it. I think this is how many, this is their second or third? Way more than that. See, told you. All right, um, it uh, starts at uh, 5.45 on the 9th. If you have any questions, you can talk to Karen Hill. She's going to have the answers that I don't have. Um, <laughs> this morning, we, uh, we just thank you again for being here. If you uh, would like to give this morning, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, you can do old school. We have check that you can put in this little nifty box up here in the corner. I think there's like two people in here that'll probably do that. Dave Hill's one of them. <laughs> Another way you can give is you can go online on our website at dothancf.com. There's a giving tab and you can just follow the instructions there. The other way is you can do direct deposit through your bank. You can set that up. Um, yeah, this morning we're going to release our kids to go with Gay Lynn. She's the lovely lady in the blue shirt that's walking away right now. All the youth can come with me. We're going to go, and we are going to have a great time, and we are going to transition into our message with Dave Hale. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm continuing a series called Belonging. Uh, last week, we did what we call our About Us um, course or class. Um, we've been here now, Karen and I have been here for over 13 years as pastors um, in we have never formalized membership in the entire time we were here. Uh, there's membership in the past before we got here. But when we first came, one of the things that we, we did was we said, Lord, we want to make sure that we really instill and, and build into um, the foundations that you called for a local church. And so we've been doing that consistently for, like I said, 13 years. Um, one of the keys is 
um, long, for longevity in ministry is um, you, have to, you have to know what it is that God called you to and who you are in Him. The identity thing comes first, actually, but then knowing who you are and how God called you to do it and then leaning into that um, on a regular basis and consistency is key. Showing up is 99% of the battle most of the time in ministry. Um, the rest of it is just trusting in the Lord and saying, God, I trust that you, you've given me gifts and ministries and all the things that you've done. And so we have been doing that consistently for the past 13 years. And part of what we did when we first came, we preached messages. And one of my favorite passages in Psalms was about uh, we would do series around this. We would do messages around this. We would teach into this. We would speak it into our community groups and all those things. Um, but it was a, a, a passage in Psalms, Psalm 68, 5 and 6. And it says simply this. It says, um, God, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of win- widows, um, is God in his holy dwelling. Verse 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. It's an interesting contrast. He said, I'm going to be a father to the fatherless. I'm going to be a defender of widows. You see this in the New Testament, a defender of widows and orphans. The Bible talks about father to the father, so orphans and widows, those who can't help themselves. So if if the strength comes to serve others, you see this in this picture. And then it's very interesting. He says, God sets the lonely in families. And so one of the things he talked about coming out of Egypt, one of the challenges was they had lost some of their family, their understanding of family and what family meant. And so there there were lost sheep of Israel, Jesus talked about. And so he said he would go out and he would search after those sheep or the, those lambs and he would bring them home. He would, he would leave the 99 and go after that one. And the picture is always someone who's lonely, who's in a sun-scorched land. He says, that's where the rebellious live. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting contrast? He's like, if, if you find yourself lonely, if you find yourself in a sun-scorched land where you're thirsty and there's no water, oftentimes, because there's some point in, in, in the process that you've re- rebelled against God's creation, his intention, his nature, his calling, all those things. And when you lean back into who he is and how he works and the fact that he's God and that you're not, which is the linchpin of theology, right? When you understand that, something begins to happen. He says, I, 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 don't, just, I don't just allow it to happen. He said, listen to what it says. He said he sets the lonely in families. In other words, he's, he's almost violently intentional about putting you into a family. And so part of what we've been talking about, this belonging thing, is God will challenge you to the core of who you are in your being to get you plugged in and understanding the need for other people. We talk about the gifts, and one of the gift sets that we talk about is the five-fold ministry gifts. Um, and, and I've preached into this for years, learning who I am in that context and all those things and helping to work with others who are, who are in that same, you, you know, different gifting but in the same context to equip the saints. And one of the things that you find is there's no such thing as one gift. There's always a plurality of gifts. There's a plurality of elders. We're going to get to that in just a second. God always places people in groups, not singly. Family units are supposed to be family units, right? So, and again, I get it. Tragedy can happen. Brokenness can occur. We live in a, in a broken and a sinful world. I get all that. But the picture that God always wants to do is resolve it back to family. Remember, he, he creates Adam in the garden, and he said he, he was alone. 
<laughs> so he sets him in a family by making a, a wife for him, right? Um, another passage says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Why? Because it's the process by which God is setting the lonely in families. So, um, you know, if, if you're sitting there going, well, man, I'm, I'm single. You know, does that mean I'm living in a sun-scorched land because I'm rebellious? <laughs> no, that's not what I mean at all. We, we get the context of it. There's a process for this. And even coming into a local church, you know, you come in, you kick the tires, and you know, like, how do you, because we talked about this last week, how do you actually choose a local church? What does that look like? And the intent God has for you is to discover whether this is your family. And if it is, he wants to set you into this family. This ought to become, your local church ought to become your family of God. Um, Christian psychologists talk in two frames of reference. Um, families of record, that's the one you were born into. Sometimes very dysfunctional and very broken. I get that. I, that, that was my context. Um, but the family of God should not be broken <laughs> and messed up and dysfunctional, right? It should be healthy. It isn't always, and that's the whole context of when you come into a local church, we talked about this, discovering who the leaders are, what they're like, are they mature, and so we're going to go after some of that today. So the idea behind today is um, st starting to talk in about what does membership look like, right? So we talked a little bit about who we were, what God's intention for us was as a local church last week, so you can go check that out online if you want to. Um, but but the, the, pas the passage that you find the word member in is, you know, you, when we think of a member of a church, sometimes we get a picture of like a country club, like this elitist mentality. You know, I look down my nose at people who aren't members of the church. I get my own parking space. You know, I have my seat that if you sit in it, I'm, you know, I'm going to just stand next to you until you feel all the pressure to maybe move out of the way. <laughs> so we don't do that here, thank God. But I have been in churches where that was, unfortunately, that was the culture. We had friends who literally came that a big family of four kids, two, uh, you know, man and a wife, four kids, came to a church, got there early, was checking it out, see if whether maybe that was going to be their family or not. And, and a couple came and stood right next to them and just hovered over them before the service. And they're like, you know, they could feel the, the tension. They're like, um, can we help you? They're like, you're in our seats. <laughs> and he'd been around church for a long time, and he goes, I literally thought the guy was just messing with me, and I, you know, so I messed with him back, and then I realized he was not messing, he was serious. So he goes, needless to say, that was not our family, <laughs> right? So anyway, the point is, Scripture has a, a different version of what member, membership looks like. So let me just give you a couple of Scriptures and some of the word, where you see this word show up. Uh, Romans 12, 5 says, so in Christ." We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And that's a, a, the original word is, is melos, and it means a member or a limb of the body. So the picture is you're, you, you're not by yourself. If you are a limb that's severed from the body, you die, right? You stop working at some point. Not, like, not instantly, but eventually you stop working. And, and so it's never designed for that. Another scripture, Ephesians 2.19, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers. So he's saying you were a part. Remember, God says, I'm going to set you in the family. So you were a part, a foreigner, strange, a foreigner and a stranger to the land, right? He says, but you are no longer like that, um, but fellow citizens with God's people, right? So citizens, so it, it's a picture of nationhood, right, and belonging that way. And then it jumps into, and also members of his household. And that's a word that means belonging to the household. Like you are part of this family unit. Everybody recognizes you as this family unit. Ephesians 3, 6 uses the phrase uh, in a different way. It says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. So remember, the Gentiles were foreigners outside, foreigners are strangers outside of the commonwealth, another nation term. And then he says, um, 
here's the mystery that the gospel is preached to the Gentiles. They are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So something brought belonging. Their belief in Jesus brought a belonging, and, and this is the way that Jesus sets us into a family. You, you can't just be a family. You can't become a part of the family if you're not actually part of the family, right? You're, you're, it's just going to be weird because everybody's going to know that you're not part of the family, right? So at some point, even in, our, in, in the natural sense, there's a sense of, hey, you belong and you're together. But when that adoption comes, you see it all the time on YouTube. You know, it's like someone's, they finally adopt this child. The paperwork goes through and they've been going for it for a long time. The joy in that child and in that, you know, it's like they've been part of the family the whole time. But something now where it became official, they share the same last name. It's recognized and it's set. And God has set that person in the family. So the word in Ephesians 3, 6 Members together of one body is sesamos, and it means of the same body, fellow members of the body, like you cannot be determined not to be of this body any longer. There is no doubt. So uh, the other word that comes up over and over again in the New Testament is the word oikos. Um, and I preached into a, a, this a lot, but it literally means the household of God. When, when Peter, when it talks about Peter was in his house, Jesus was in somebody's house, often that uses that word. And the picture is, in this house is a household, and it, it, it is typically not just a father, a mother, and the kids, but often sometimes can be cousins, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. You see that with Peter and his brother. You see that in several disciples. They came in brothers and part of the household. They were all part of one big household. And Jesus was saying, look, it doesn't matter where you start from. My intention is to bring you together in one big family, right, and to make you whole and helpful to one another. And so then you even see people who join together in family units who were part of the same uh, guild, if you will. They were, they were carpenters like Jesus. They were fishermen like Peter. They were, you know, uh, tax collectors, whatever. Maybe, maybe they, they had to quit doing that because that wasn't good. But the point is, is that when you, you started working sometimes with someone, Maybe you didn't have a family, your family was dysfunctional. Very quickly, you became part of someone else's household, that oikos. And the picture is always God's going, my heart and my intent is to set you into families. And one of the most destructive things that's happening, happening in our culture, in the Western world, but especially in America, is fatherless homes. Homes where, where like, like you said, God said, I will be a, a father to the fatherless. In other words, I can, I can fill up the gap that brokenness and destruction and sinfulness in the world has taken away. I'll be a defender of the widows, right? In other words, I'll take up the slack. This is God saying, I want to set people in families. So this is a picture of as we go into uh, membership and what it means to be a member of, of a local church. So today we would call this, if we were teaching the class, we would call it expectations. And so really this is two perspectives. What, what are the expe ex expectations we have for you as members of this local church? Every church does this, whether they recognize it or say it out loud or not. Everybody does this in some, some form or fashion, so keep that in mind. So what are the expectations we have of members? And then if you are a member at DCF, what are the expectations you have or should have of your spiritual leaders, right? So how do you find a good local church? I'm, I'm telling you, and if you're looking at, at our church and you're kicking the tires, we're going to tell you exactly how to kick the tires and make sure they don't go flat, okay? So, <laughs> so there's one requirement for being a member at DCF. It is 100% absolutely non-negotiable. And if you don't do this, 
I don't care how nice you are, how much money you have. Well, if you have a lot of money, no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't matter <laughs> where you are in this. If you don't meet this one requirement, you can never be a member of DCF. Anybody want to take a guess to what it might be? <laughs> Everyone seeking membership at DCF must be committed to their own vital personal walk with Jesus Christ. So we, we live in 2023, and there's a lot of spiritual conversations out there. So what, when I say vital walk with Jesus, some of you guys are like, I totally have that. Some of you guys are like, I don't have a clue what that looks like. Um, I wouldn't know if it had bit me, <laughs> right? Or maybe you're saying, I think I have that, but I'm not sure. How can you know? I want to explain that to you. First of all, confess him, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And secondly, and this is probably one of the biggest parts of it that most people miss, confess him as Lord and Savior. Submit to him as Lord and Savior. And then submit to the yoke of his discipleship. Remember, he was, he was rabbi. He was a teacher. And a disciple literally means learner, right? So we're to submit to the yoke of his discipleship. He says, take my yoke upon you. Remember, Scripture talks about that. And, and then a, a qualifying phrase. So submit to the yoke of his discipleship as laid out in the Scriptures. This is really, really important. Um, somebody prophesied over me one time when I was discovering who I was and the gift that I was supposed to be the church. And they said, it's really interesting about you. I keep hearing this phrase, for you it must be biblical. And I, up until that moment, I've been in ministry probably 10 years, I had never heard anyone define me that well. But if you want to define me in my ministry and who I am and what I do, that is my definition. For me... It must be biblical. Must be. No option. This is a hill I will die on 100% of the time, right? And probably most of you guys are the same way. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live in a vital walk with Jesus committed? Scripture actually tells us, so that's good, 1 John 2. Now, my, now by this, we know that we know him. So John is saying, hey, if you're, if you're curious, if you're not sure, if you're a believer or not, I'm going to help you. Now, by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments... He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. <laughs> like, John, he would not have made a great car salesman, right? He just didn't have that tact. He's just like, Peter was the same way. James, even, even worse, right? He goes on, and he said, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Is, in other words, is being made mature. It's a process, being made mature in him. By this, we know that we are in him. Dash. Here's how you know. He who says he abides in him, in other words, if you say you have a vital walk with Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So what's the goal? Um, you know, you see this all the time. Mark just had a grandbaby. Well, he didn't personally have it, but, you know, a <laughs> new grandbaby. And they sent us pictures. And, and Karen and I was like, oh, my gosh, that baby looks just like Mark. He didn't have any hair, so that helped. But I'm, I'm going to say it wasn't just that. It, through the eyes, there is no possible way that baby could deny Mark being the grandfather, right? He looks just like him. And the same thing is true of us. At some point, we should start looking like our father. Jesus, and I'm going to bring this up in a minute, but Jesus said he and the father are one. In essence, this is what, for the religious people of his day, got them all in a, in a tizzy because he was saying, I am God. The, the Father and I, we're one. We're the same in essence. We're two different persons, and you know we can go into the Trinity in another series. But the point he was saying was, 
if, if you want to know the Father, you can know me. Hebrews says, God talked in times past through the prophets, all these different ways, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son. He has, he has demonstrated who he is through Jesus. And if we are going to be like our rabbi, if we are going to be disciples, if we're going to be learners of the teacher, then at some point we ought to start looking like Jesus, right? And that's the picture here. So, so who gets to define what that looks like? And the answer is he does. And so here's another scripture. This is Matthew 16, 18. He says, and I tell you, it's a familiar passage, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my, I will build my church. He's talking about the declaration of Peter seeing Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who would come and lay down his life, the lamb slain before the foundation of time. And he says, on this rock, that revelation, I'm, I'm going to build my church. We don't do that. <laughs> None of us build the church. Only Jesus can build his church. We can be living stones that connect together in the way he designed us to do this, but we can't build the church. Only Jesus can do that. So he is the one who gets to define not just what the church is, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the gathered together ones is another version of it, the belonging ones. See how it's translating into setting the lonely into families? So this picture, then he goes on, he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what he's saying, he didn't say whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. He said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, as you become like me and you walk in not just my character, but also my competencies, right, what I did. He didn't come and do miracles and signs and wonders just because he was the son of God. He, the Bible speaks of this numerous times. He called himself the son of man. And what is his, the picture he was painting was, what does a submitted, 100% sold out human being do in the earth when he submitted to his father the way Jesus was submitted to his father? He was painting a picture of this, was, this could be your life if you so desire. You can walk in what I did. He even said, greater things will you do than I have done. He raised the dead. Remember, you go back and you read in the book of Acts, several people, including Peter and Paul, raised somebody from the dead. They did what Jesus did. They just weren't like him in his character. We get that. We talk about that. But they also did what he did, and that's important to understand. So as we talk about Jesus defining the church, we have one requirement, submitted 100% to Jesus, a vital walk with him, um, submitted to the yoke of his discipleship as laid out in Scripture. Not your version, not my version, but as laid out in Scripture. And then when we do that, he begins to use us to build his church. So one requirement, if you want to be a member, but it leads into four expectations that we have if we're going to live as a healthy ecclesia, as a healthy family, as a healthy local church. And so that's what I want to talk about next. What are the member expectations? The, the requirement is you must be saved, of course, must be born again. Jesus said that, right? That's part of what you can't be a member until you're a member, right? <laughs> you can't be a part of the body until you're actually part of the body, and that's the point behind that, 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 expecta- or that requirement. But the first expectation is simply this, a passion for transformation. So this is who we are, our mission statement at DCF. We transform lives by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. This is what we do. We transform lives. We don't do it in our own strength, our own power, but by grace, by understanding the gospel that doesn't go away just because you got saved, and then, and then walking in the power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, walking in his presence in that way because he lives inside of us. 
So uh, what does that look like? Evangelism and discipleship are the two really interesting areas. So uh, what is evangelism? Literally just means being on mission. An an expectation for transformation, a passion for transformation, is an expectation for you to take what God has done inside of you and reach out and bring people to Christ. The, The desire, the mission that God has called you to join Jesus on is to go into all the world, right, and reach the lost. This is what he's called us to do. Remember, we said this last week, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has reconciled us, and then when he did that, when we became a member of his body, then what he wants to do is he wants to use you and I now to set the lonely into his family, right? And, and whether that ends up being this particular local church or not doesn't really make any difference. It's his family that he's going after. So what does that look like? Growing the body, right? Growing other members coming in, but also growing yourself. That's the discipleship part. So evangelism is just simply being missional. Matthew 28, you've heard me preach into this so many times. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. See, Jesus didn't say go and build the church. He said, I'll do that. What you need to do is go make disciples. So your, your job, your passion for transformation should be for me to go out, to go, to be on mission. It doesn't mean you have to go to Africa or Central America or any other place. You can start right here in your own backyard, right? You can start at the coffee house. That's what I do, right? I go to the coffee house. My neighbor, whoever that is, who has God put in your heart to reach for him? And we're going to talk about that and teach into that as we go forward into this year. But it's the challenge is to be a family on mission. For us as a local church is to be a family, but not just be a family because the danger of that is we turn in on each other, right? We, we, we serve one another well, and if we're not careful, we get a little bit weird, right? We, we, when people come in, they're like, um, you're a family, but you might be too tight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So the, whole, the, re- the reason God puts that in our hearts is like, hey, I want other people to experience the health and the wholeness that I do. That's that evangelism. And then discipleship is simply walking in the character and the competency that Jesus had. Matthew 10, 7 and 8, listen to what he said. And as you go... Remember, that here's another passage where he just talked about in Matthew 28 to go. Previously, he said this in chapter 10. As you go, preach. Proclaim the good news as you go. Every place you go. And again, it's not about I have to go out and preach the gospel to every single person. And at some point, I end up in a, you know, in a fetal position in my room because I'm so absorbed in me doing all the work. It's not what I'm saying. It's talking about having a lifestyle of reaching out to people and introducing Jesus. Because have you ever noticed it doesn't take long when you need to meet a new person to find out what they love? You know how you know? They start talking about it. Lately, I've been talking about a truck. I I love the truck. I just drive. I have a four-wheel drive truck, in case you didn't know. And I just drive over things. And I feel so manly when I do. I, I was a man before, but I'm just saying. Now when I drive over things that I couldn't drive, I just feel manly, right? <laughs> so at some point, I talked to my dad the other day, and he said, the first thing you need to do with that new truck is take it to the gravel yard, have them dump a whole yard of gravel on the hood. That way, you don't have to worry about any of the scratches that come on your truck. I said, Dad, have you ever owned a new truck? He said, no, why? Never mind. <laughs> but at some point, it's not going to be a new truck anymore, and the love will dissipate, right? But right now, I talk to all kinds of people about my truck. It's fun, because I love it. But you know, who I, you know what I talk about all the time? I talk about Jesus, who he is, what he's done in my life, because that's the part of me that says, whatever I have experienced, I want to take that, and I want that to resonate with other people. It is actually good news. The good news isn't, if you die right now, where would you go? That is not good news, right? That's religious. It's not helpful. The good news is, did you know that God no longer holds your sin against you? 
wait, what? I, I would like very much to talk about that, right? So it's a different way of thinking. So two questions to provoke transformation. We've talked about this many, many times. What's God saying to you, and what are you doing about it? So it, it, the whole connection is you, you must be in a relationship with the one who is bringing transformation to your life. If not, you're just going to get stuck in a rut, and you're never going to change. You're going to be baptized in vinegar, and, you know, like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're going you're to do everything you can to convert someone and then turn them into twice the son of hell that you are. Like, I'd like to hear that at your pastor's conference. That wouldn't be much fun, would it? Jesus' challenge was, hey, whatever you're doing in religion, that's not me. So evangelism, discipleship. Um, expectation two is a commitment to community. I, this is something that DCF has been known for for 40-something years as long as it's been in our city. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves. This is a really, really, really strong word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Part of the name of DCF, Dothan Christian Fellowship, right? That's an uncommon word nowadays, but it was not before, and this is where it comes from, a big part of where it comes from, this is what they devoted themselves to. Not just to him, not just devoted to the Lord, of course, yeah, but devoted to one another in fellowship, in breaking of bread, eating together, communion, all those things in prayer. So it, the word devoted literally means to attend to constantly. That's what devotion looks like, attend to constantly. So committed to gathering, bringing our resources together for the mission, bringing our gifts, eating together, praying for one another, confessing our sin one to another, the Bible says, so that you might be healed. By the way, it's not confessing your sin so that you might be, you might be forgiven of that sin when you confess it to one another. It's having conversations about the struggles and the challenges that you have because the Bible says when you have those conversations, healthy conversations with brothers and sisters who are mature, it leads us, it prods us, it provokes us to be transformed, right? So the one another is a scripture. You heard me preach about this. It occurs over 100 times. 59 of those times are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. So let me just give you a couple of examples. Positive commands, love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, build up one another. If you miss the one another's in the Bible, you are not paying attention, right? Look at the negative ones. There, there's tons more, but here's some negatives. Don't lie to one another. In other words, if you're going to have real relationship, it has to be built on trust, has to be built on integrity, which is not honesty, it's wholeness, but also honesty, <laughs> Right? Um, stop passing judgment on one another. It's really hard to judge one another when you understand grace. As a matter of fact, it's pretty much impossible, right? If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. You ever been in that kind of relationship as a family? Some of that's a dysfunction that you came out of your, your birth family, and God says, I want to put you in, a, I want to take the lonely, I want to place you in a healthy family. That's the understood pat, uh, aspect of it. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another in a negative way. Don't slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. And we do this because we are truly members of one another. So practically, what does that look like? Uh, commitment to community. It means Sunday mornings, gathering. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Remember COVID? Anybody? It was, it was a blip. Remember, one of the things we did was we stopped gathering together. We gathered online. But it didn't take very long to figure out that that was one of the biggest traps of the, of the enemy. If God sets the lonely in families, the enemy sets the family into loneliness. 
And that, if that wasn't what we saw in a worldwide epidemic or pandemic, I don't know what was, right? And so God's been challenging people to get back together again, right? Don't forsake the gathering yourselves together unless there's a pandemic. I don't know what version you're reading, but it's not there. Listen, I'm, I understood. Take precautions. We set the chairs six feet apart. We, we did those things. Nothing wrong. I don't, it's not a problem. But at some point, it doesn't take long to figure out, if you skip a service and then another service and then another service, you always have a good reason, but you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I show up to DCF when I'm not preaching. Surprise. Why? Because I don't come here just for what I can give you and show my strength and, you know, have my name on the front. I come here also to receive, Right? Same thing for you. You shouldn't come just to receive. You should also show up to bring your strength to one another. That's part of that commitment. So showing up worship times, prayer times, ministering to one another in community groups, showing up for that. Our community groups last anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks. We do that in pers- in, on, uh, on purpose where we have an intensity and then a release because that is the, cult, that is the structure of healthy rhythms, intensity and then release, right? School rhythms, they do the same thing. You have intensity, and then there's a vacation or, or, you know, a Christmas vacation, and there's intensity, and then there's a summer break. You see it all the time. You have intensity, you have a vacation. You have intensity during the week, you have the weekend. Th- these are the rhythms of our life. So there's nothing wrong. Something happens. Listen, I've missed services too. I get it, but I'm just saying part of your commitment to community is not come just because of something you get, but if you came, think of what our church would look like if every single one of us came with the intent of bringing our strength to serve the body. What would it look like? That's what we're talking about, right? So expectation number three, the stewardship of gifts. And that that's kind of the transition from commitment to community. What can that look like? This is where it really begins to get really interesting. We believe that God has graced every single person with a unique gift. Now, here's what's really interesting. We use this scripture all the time, 1 Peter 4.10. You've heard me read this a million times if you've been around DCF, right? And I'll read it a million times more. As each has received a gift, every single person has received a gift, as the understanding is, you understand you've received this gift, right? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good, good stewards. You want to know if you're a good steward of the gift that God has given you? Are you using it to serve other people? If you're an incredible communicator and you're not serving other people with it, you're not, you're not being a good steward of your gift. If you have the ability to, to make wealth, if, you are, if you've been given the gift of giving, which is an awesome gift, often comes with the ability to make wealth, and you're not serving other people with that gift, you're not being a good steward of that gift. If you love kids and you're passionate for kids, or you have a leadership gift, pick whichever unique gift God has given, and all of us have, been, have, have received those gifts. Are you using that gift to serve others? This is the litmus test of stewardship of your giftings, and that's a big, big part of our expectations here. So we do that primarily at DCF through grace teams. So we have a grace team that does just about everything you can think of and stuff we haven't thought of. (laughs) And the stuff we haven't thought of is because some of you guys have gifts that don't fit in a team but could create a new team. So how do we impact our city and our region? And that's how. We have teams that combine around gifts and passions and desires and talents and abilities, right? So yet you saw a full worship team up here. We, like, we have way too many people up here on the worship team. Like I looked up, there's half of the people in the church is on the worship team, right? You know why? 
Because we have gifted people who are in the worship team, and I love it. And it's fine. They can be up here, and they can be, up, be down there because they're members anyway. One in particular. And that's not all of them. we got way more, right? We have people who are back there right now with our kids who love and are passionately and gifted in those kids' lives. I, I love, we had little kids, Karen serves back there sometimes. We have little kids come up and go, man, I just love Miss Karen. She's just, oh, I just love Miss Karen. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> it's like she's gifted. She has a passion. She has a love for them, right? So it, whatever, whatever gift that God's given you, are you stewarding that gift? Kids' church, production, are you good with, with, with technology? Are you good with creativity? What, are you good at marketing? Are you good at writing? What gifts have God, has God given you? Are you using them to serve the mission and the purpose of the body of Christ? If you're not, you're not being a good steward. If you see someone serving at DCF, 99.9% of the time, they are on a grace team. So how do we do grace teams? Once a year in January, um, sometimes we, we, we do it, uh, you know, it's halfway through the year. But at least once a year in January, we challenge everybody to sign up for a grace team based on their gift, their unique ability, and stewardship of their gift to use it to serve others, right? We do that, and we ask for a simple, simple commitment for one year. We say this all the time. When you serve on the team, in one year, you are automatically removed from that team. Now, you can sign up every single year until Jesus comes get you, right? We're totally happy with that. And usually that's what people do. They find where they fit, and they serve at least, they, they're always serving that, in that capacity. So why do we do that? Because what we discovered is people, some people don't know what their gift set is. And so as they, they step into a gift, it usually takes you about that long to discover whether this is your gifting or it's not. Sometimes it's because you, your interpersonal relationships aren't where they should be, and when you begin to serve in a team, you know, iron begins to rub iron and sparks fly. And then you, you look at the sparks and go, well, I must not be gifted for this team. No, you're so not head, and you need to grow up. That's supposed to be funny. Some of you guys took that way too much, <laughs> way too seriously. But understand, some of the aspect is I'm not gifted for that is really I'm not, I'm not taking a, a, a place of maturity and growing up in my understanding of relationship with one another, right? I don't understand leadership, or I've been in dysfunctional family for so long that I don't know how healthy functional family works. So maybe that's a process that you have to learn, and usually that takes a little while to do that. And if, at, at the end of the year, we've had you, you know, you've been there, you can be counted on for that year. And, and at the end of the year, you're released with, with a thankful, grateful heart from us as a, as a leadership team, and we release you to something else or the same thing again if that's your space to serve in. So we'll, we'll go after a little bit more of that next week. Expectation four is generous giving. So what does that look like? There's this really interesting passion, uh, or passage in James 1.5. It says, and that's talking about wisdom. James is going after wisdom. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, and here's why. Here's why you should ask God for wisdom. Because he is a God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So Karen and I, when we go to a restaurant, she was, she was a head waitress at a, at a uh, restaurant in Tyler, Texas when, when we planted a church out there. So she's, she's done, you know, the hard parts. <laughs> and so she understands what comes with that. And so because, you know, I was there with her, I understand it too. So anytime we go into a place where they're going to serve us, we have already decided in our hearts what we're going to give that person. It has no basis on how well or how poorly they serve me. We're just, there's a minimum that we're going to give, not because the person did well, but because that's who we are as people. Does that make sense? One of the worst things that happened, Karen used to 
this used to be one of the biggest challenges, is on Sundays, church people go and, and eat dinner and then leave a tract as a tip. And if you do that, I'm going to smack you the next time I see you because that is not how you reach people for Jesus, right? It's just not. It's actually the exact opposite. Nothing wrong with leaving a tract, but leave also a 45 or 50 or 100% tip, and I'll bet you they probably even read that tract, right? Would you? I'd be like, huh, that person's an interesting person. What did they leave me also? You get the point. But here's what you have to see. The issue in generous giving, you know, James is saying that, that God gives. This is who he is. This is his nature, not just in wisdom, but if you lack anything you need, he, this is the kind of father he is. He gives generously to all. He, there, he's no respecter of persons. You see this throughout Scripture. He gives generously to all. And here's the caveat. Without finding fault. He's a generous, this is grace in, in, in the, the most beautiful picture. So what does that mean? That means we challenge you in your walk with Jesus to become a generous person. Why? Because Jesus was a generous person, because the Father is a generous person, because we're supposed to be like our rabbi. We're supposed to be like our Father, and if he was generous, we also should be generous. So what does that mean? Um, just give me your checkbook, and I'll, I'll write a check. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want your checkbook, right? Some of you guys are like, what's a checkbook? Anyway, so, so what does that look like? Is it an amount? What about the tithe? People ask this, this all the time. Do you require a tithe at, at DCF? If you don't know that, what that is, you haven't been around church very long. Tithe just means a tenth, right? A 10%. And so you find in the Bible, uh, we, we've been hearing this our whole lives. I used to preach and teach this. And what I discovered is that the tithe was an old covenant philosophy, right? It was also only for Israel. <laughs> so something happened when Jesus came along and we started a new covenant and the Gentiles were grafted in, right? We are members in particular together with Israel. Now we are the body of Christ and something changed. The intent of the law was a shadow of something. It was not the substance of something. It was a shadow saying, I want you to give first. I'm going I'm to probably teach some, some of this at, toward the end of the year. But what does it mean to give? What is all this, that, you know, churches, are, we have to be so careful about talking about money. We shouldn't. Money is, is part of our life. Why? It's just a representation of what you give. If it's an hourly rate, if it's an intensity, if you're on salary, whatever that looks like, you are taking whatever you have earned and exchanging it for something, right? And so all God was saying was, look, back then, it was, it was produce, it was cattle, it was lambs, it was, it was an agricultural society, it was wheat, it was, you know, it was something that grew out of the ground. And, it, and as a matter of fact, it was tied to the ground. When Israel came into the promised land, it was tithe, tithing began. They didn't tithe back then. They tithed when they got into the land because it was tied to the land, right? The, and here's an interesting thing. The, the priests and the Levites couldn't own land, so the tithe was there to help support them and the work of the kingdom. And, and I can't, again, I, I, I want so desperately to talk about all this because so it's, it's so helpful, but I'm not going to do it. But the point behind this is it was a shadow of something else. So what does that look like in the New Testament? I'll read you a scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So he's just using an agricultural term. He said, if you go out and you plant a, a small amount of seed, guess what's going to happen? you're going to have a small crop. But if you plant a lot of seed, you're going to have a big crop, right? Simple. Now, do people abuse this? 100%, of course they do. 
because there are broken people in the church and even in leadership, and especially online and on television, <laughs> right? Because so often that means they're not necessarily accountable, and that's what we're going to get to in the next section. So he goes on, he says, you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you, he's talking to the New Testament, New Covenant church, each of you, this is the, the New Covenant church, new version, should give what you have decided in your heart to give. The expectation is you give, right? You should give. I've heard people say, well, you know what? The, the old covenant was tithe. There's no longer a tithe. I have no requirement to give. That's true, but you should, <laughs> right? You have no requirement to love one another either. I mean, you do, but you don't. Does that, does that make sense? You can do what you want. You can be a bad son, but you're still a son. But the expectation, that's not why we didn't make this a requirement, because maybe you're just learning. Maybe you're going through a hard season. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you were burnt at another church or whatever. We get it. But my point is, at some point, you need to understand the expectation is that we should give, and according to the Scripture, we should give generously to the work of the kingdom. So give what you decided. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If, if I put you in a position, even in what I'm teaching now, put you in a, a place of compulsion to give, we're doing it wrong. Right? We're not talking about why you should give in the right way if you feel compulsion by someone else to give. He goes on, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because that's how he does it. He loves that because when he sees you give cheerfully, when you recognize that you are a steward of everything that belongs to him, you are just a steward of it here and now. So the tithe, part of the tithe was a reminder that the first fruits of all the crops came, the first lamb that came, the first animal was offered to the Lord. Why? As a reminder of he is the one who has provided everything that you have. So why is it good to give? Because you, you, you tie everything that you have back to him. So then you say, Lord, I would really like to give and bless this person. My trust is as I do that. I'm not saying just get crazy with this. I'm saying learn how to do it. But as I trust and say, God, I want to give to this person, what I discover very quickly is when I give generously, the, re the part that comes in for me comes in in ways I never expected. It's incredible how this happens. Again, I don't have time to get into it. So we are all called to give to the local church, um, but you have to decide in your own heart, in relationship to the Lord and who he is, what he is asking you to give. In another place it says, give at the first of the week. Decide and give regularly. Give on a regular basis, right? So again, we can get into that more deeply. So here are the ex ex expectations that we are passionate about at DCF. Passion for transformation. Commitment to community, stewardship of your gifts, and generous giving. Why? Because we want to be like Jesus. And that is what a healthy ecclesia, the church that he is building, looks like. So last thing is our leadership expectations. This won't take long. I've gone over this, and you, if you want to talk to me later and get more detail about this, we can get into it. But there are two leadership roles in the New Testament. Only two. <laughs> There's only two. It is eldership and deacons, elders and deacons. There's saints, there's sinners, there's elders, there, there's deacons, there's nothing else. That's it, right? And so God, in, his, in the simplicity of it all, this is how I designed it. So how do elders, elders are the ones who govern the local church, right? We're gonna get into that in a second. How do you how do, you do that? How do you become an elder? What does that look like? Here's just a simple qualification list. This is 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 7. You can go read all this if you want, and it's a lot. But here's the 
first, the most important part of it. It says a bishop, which is an elder or an overseer. Those words are the same in, in Scripture. A, an elder must be these things. And it gives a list. Blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Able to teach is important. We're going to get into that in a second. But the Bible says, it doesn't say, have the tendency to become. It says, if you're going to lead in this role in the New Testament church, you must be these things. So this is where so often churches get it wrong. They bring people into a leadership role who are great leaders in other parts of their life. They're great business leaders, you know, might be great uh, in the military. Uh, Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're just different kinds of leadership. And the Bible says if you aren't these things, if you are missing in some of these areas in the world, you may be thought of well. You may be celebrated as a leader. But if you're not some of these things, God says, sorry, you can't lead in the church, right? One of those things is really interesting. He says, um, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. That's a frightening concept, right? For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So he's saying, I want you to understand this is like a family, right? And so, anyway, this is where you go. So how do we appoint them? Scripture says, Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders in every church, this is how they did it, through prayer and fasting. They sought the Lord for revelation. Who is this person that you want to put in this eldership role? Titus 1, 5, for this reason I left you in Crete. Paul saying he left Titus there. Why? That you should set in order, right, the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. In other words, if you have a church without an elder, it needs elder. It needs an elder. But it actually needs more than one. Plurality of elders, we see that all, all, all throughout New Testament. So what are your expectations as a member for the eldership team? Right now we have three couples. It's Karen and I. It's uh, Alan and Diane and David Woodham and Callie. Oh, yeah, they're in youth right now. Right back there serving youth. Go figure. So what, what are the things that you can expect of us? There's three simple things. One is to govern. That, that there's a word in the, in the original language, prostimi. It means to rule, be over, stand before, to reside by implication to practice. In other words, you lead by doing. You lead, if you think of it, it's not a hierarchy where we're at the top and everybody else is in the pyramid below us. You turn the pyramid on, on the side, right, and the leader is in front. So imagine in a, in a place of war, what you have is you have the kind of officer who leads you into battle, not sends you there. Everybody makes fun of me all you Army and Marines, you make fun of me because I was in the Air Force. And I just say, well, you guys went to war, and we sent our officers to war. So I don't know who's smarter about the whole thing, right? But the church can't do that. The church ought not have leaders, right, who stay behind while everybody else. There's this interesting passage about David. It says, when kings went to battle, so in the spring of the year, which is the time frame to get through the passes, the only, that's the only time you can make war. When, in the spring of the year, when kings went to battle, David stayed home. You know what the rest of that passage is? A, a soap opera. That's exactly what that is, right? It's just a mess, right? He got, he got to looking at the wrong thing on, on the internet. Next thing you know, he was, in, you see what I'm talking about? Why? Because when leaders were supposed to go out and do what leaders did, he stayed back and he sent his people. It's a terrible situation. So they're called to lead biblically. Here's just some scriptures. I'm going through this quickly. Um, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, talking about leaders, who are over you. That's that word, prosimi, to govern over you in the Lord and who admonish you. 
the, the picture is you want leaders who challenge you. If the leaders aren't challenging you, they're probably not good leaders. It's just a picture. If you're, if you're a father and, you're, and you're, your kids never sigh, you're not doing it right. You know what I'm talking about? They go, right? If they don't ever do that, you're missing it as a dad. I'm just saying. First Timothy 5, 17, the elders who direct, that's that same word, direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. He says there are some elders who direct. They govern. That's part of the role that they play. All of them do it, but some of them take a leadership role in it. First Peter 3, uh, 5, 3 adds to this picture this very interesting phrase. It says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. Listen to this. That word means literally to control or subjugate. So what does that mean? Your leaders, elders, are to be over those that God has given them the account to watch over, right, without controlling or subjugating them. It is a tension that is really, really, really hard until it's not. <laughs> then it just becomes easy. You just learn how to do it, and you do it well. So one is govern, one is guide. That's simply walk, helping you to walk into your walk with the Lord. Titus 1.7, an overseer is entrusted with God's work. He must be, and this is one of them, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. In other words, you should know your scripture. You should know the character and the nature of God. You should live it. You should know it. You should act on it, right? 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. That's that, that, that understanding of God. 1 Timothy 3.2, now the overseer must be able to teach. doesn't mean that you have to be gifted, a gifted teacher, a teacher gift. It just means you have to have the ability to teach because that's part of what the role of eldership is. The last one is guard. Prosecco is the word for this, to hold the mind towards, to pay attention to, to be cautious about, to apply oneself, to tend unto, to be given to, to have in regard to shepherd. This is really interesting. It literally means to have a mind towards the people. So I remember when, when, when we were brought on staff, one of the conversations was about my salary, right? So why do you pay an elder a salary? Not all the elders get their money from the church. Some of them have our, what we call marketplace elders. And we tell, we tell our marketplace elders, it makes no difference where your paycheck comes from. You are still an elder. So maybe because I direct the affairs of the church and I'm in it all the time, I do more of the practical aspect of it, that's fine. The operational side of it, that's fine. But it doesn't make any of our marketplace elders any less elders, right? So this picture is that the reason why you do that is so that they can have a mind towards you, so that they can be thinking about you. Karen and I, on a regular basis, it doesn't matter. We, we've tried many, many times, going, we're not going to talk about church because it's also my job, right? So we have to be careful. Hold it in tension. But sometimes we say, we're not going to be talking about church. And then we end up talking about all of you guys. <laughs> the good things and the challenging things. It's like, oh, man, I've been praying for this for so long. It seems like they're, this, they're headed in this direction. Man, we should, we should have a coffee with them. Why are we doing that? Because this is what God called us to do, is to guard you, to, to pay attention to you, to be mindful of you might be headed into a funk. You might be headed into sin. Maybe you're about to, to step into a, a you know, an, a, a something to do with all of your money that you just got. And I'm like, hey, man, have you thought about that yet? Probably. Prob I don't know. Maybe. What, what about this relationship? I see a relationship beginning to form in the church, and I'm like, have some concerns. There's some red flags here, right? Or there's not. The point is, is we are going to have you in our minds as elders as part of what we do. Several scriptures, Hebrews 13, 7, obey those. Listen to this. It's such a powerful scripture. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, Right? For they watch out for your souls. This is what they're doing. 
This is why it's so helpful to obey and submit. But the, but the understanding is these are healthy, mature leaders, right? The Bible expects in this passage health. Same in families. It goes on. As those who must give account, it's a temporary stewardship that we have that God has given us. This, listen to this. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I cannot tell you how many times that Karen and I, other, our other leaders, would lean into someone and go, Hey, I, I noticed this thing, man. It seems like, and I felt like this, and as I was praying for you, Hey, can we just can we talk about this? And you start to talk to them, and they just start shutting down. And basically, they're like, you get the big hand. Just leave me alone. Don't bother me. I'm sorry. That's impossible. If you don't want us to bother you, don't be a member. <laughs> right? Just don't. Just go, you know what? Can't be part of this family. Because we take this so seriously. Why? Not because we're watching you. There's a big difference between we're watching you and we're watching out for you. They're not the same thing. So we lean into this heavy because we have a stewardship. To the elders among you, First Peter, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. Authority and responsibility at the same time. Acts 20, 17, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, he, he spoke to them in direction. He called them out saying, I want to talk to you about your church. In Acts 20, 28, listen to this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock that God has, has, has made you an elder, an overseer for. So he, he said, if you don't keep watch on yourself, Karen and I from time to time have a conversation going, we need to get away. Not because you guys are tough and, and it didn't make a difference how awesome you are. Ministry has challenges because it, it, we carry a weight that God intended for us to carry, but we can't carry it 24-7 without tension and release, tension and release. And sometimes the Bible says, guard yourself first. So as parents, same concept. Guard yourself and your marriage first before you deal with your kids. We, I love it when a father says to his kid, you know, it, sarcasm is my love language, I think, sometimes. I have to be careful it doesn't move into cynicism. But I love when a father says to his child, um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about taking you out because I can make another one just like you. I remember one time I, I heard a father say, did you just talk to your mother like I thought you talked to your mother? <laughs> the best one was, did you just say that to my wife? That was my favorite one. Why? Because if you guard one another, right? You guard yourself first, and then you're called in marriage to guard one another. You have a covenant with one another. This is what family looks like. And from those two things and those places of health come healthy kids. If you don't have those things in order, we've seen this numerous times, 20 years of marriage. The kids finally go off to college or grow off to do their own thing. Now the empty nest begins to occur, and now mom or dad, usually it's mom, has invested everything into their children and hardly anything into their marriage. And then 25 years into their relationship, they get a divorce. I didn't see that coming. Yes, you did. We all know where it comes from. But the challenge is because it's not urgent, we don't make it important. So it's just a challenge to us as leaders. So last thing, just quickly, and, and I apologize for going over, but I want to get this uh, and finish it. What are expectations for deacons? We have elders and we have deacons, right? So the elders, they guard, they govern, they guide. That's, that's the expectation you can have for them. And, it's, and we do that, I think, as, as a church, we do that well. Our deacon team, same thing. How do you appoint them? It's a little bit different. Um, they're chosen from among you. Acts chapter 6, it says, choose from among you seven men, right, seven people who are full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were in, involved in a massive racial 
tension. So the, the Greeks, the Greek believers and the Jewish believers, some of the widows were being overlooked. Overlooked. <laughs> right? Probably just because the church was growing so fast. Probably not because anybody was doing anything, you know, terrible. But it was happening. And, and they said, we can't leave what God has called us to do. We can't leave guard, guiding, and governing to go do this new thing that the church requires. So watch this. So in the new covenant, God paints a picture of this is an eldership team that leads the church. And now, because of all these other needs, especially the practical side of it, where there are champions among the people, these guys are leading from the front and deacons are leading from within. So God says, I'm going to create a brand new role, deacon. And it goes back, and, and, listen, and, and listen to this, Acts 6-4, when the number of disciples was increasing, right? So, so part of it is the practical need for ministry to people, and there's a racial tension. Now imagine, okay, imagine Selma, Alabama in 1965. A church, weren't a lot of these, but there's a church with white people and black people in the same church in the midst of a cultural racial tension. God said, I need some people who can handle this. You think those guys are lightweight? Our deacons, aren't deacons just junior elders? One day they'll get their, you know, their badge. <laughs> I mean, people literally do that. Sometimes deacons are overseeing elders in certain churches. It should not be done. The Bible says these guys are very, very powerful. They, they chose from among them. They said, who are the people who are full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit who can tackle this racial tension? And the people said, we think these are. Every time we've chosen deacons or elders, I am blown away by the consistency that we pray and we fast for eldership teams and people that we ask about, hey, we think these guys are elders. What do you guys think? So especially from like other churches when Greg and those guys come in apostolically, they're like, absolutely, man. Revelation, right, is how we choose that, revelation. And, and, and then also just the fact that they're able to do it, competencies. And the same thing with deacons. The people choose them. And the Bible says in this passage, when they chose them, they presented them to the apostles who at that point were the acting elders. So what, what you see happening is God combining two types of leaders into the same leadership team of the church. So why is that so powerful? It's beautiful in that deacons' expectations, one of the biggest things that you can expect from deacons is they drive unity. How do they do that? The Bible talks about them being like ligaments. They connect things together. Let me give you an example. We gather together as an eldership team. We feel like the Lord has caused, called us to do a certain thing. We're praying, we're fasting, we're seeking the Lord for direction because that's part of what he, he gives us to do, to guide, to guard, right, to govern. And so we're leaning into that, and so we bring it before the whole team, including the deacons. We say, hey, this is what we ought to, we feel in the Lord's doing. What are you guys thinking and seeing? They're like, yeah, we get it, we get it. Maybe not of them are 100% on board, but they believe we've heard from the Lord. We implement it in the church, and it creates some challenge, right? We're going to do this. It's going to be a little bit different. And then all of a sudden, people who are grumbling and complaining bump up against a deacon who's part of the leadership team, but who did not make the decision. And you, they say to you, no, this is good. We're hearing from the Lord. They're hearing, the elders are hearing from the Lord. Let's take this on. This is good. Now, when you watch someone of that capacity say yes to the vision that God has given you as a local church, it makes it really, really easy to submit. Why? Because you're watching someone else model it when they don't have to. It's a beautiful picture. So driving unity in the body. Number two, they provide service and care. So often we're in our deacon meeting and someone say, will say, hey, did you guys know about this person, the challenge they have in their family? No, we didn't. 
We see this in small groups, people deking, serving, even in small groups. But the deacons make sure we know about those things. And oftentimes, the need is already taken care of before we can even get to it as eldership team. Right? And then lastly, again, I said this before. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Vibrant in their walk with Jesus, powerful in their gifts in the Spirit, shiny eyes for what Jesus is doing. And just lastly, I want to read you a few scriptures and I'm going to pray. This is an example of what leadership should look like in a church. Just right out of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 2.10. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. This is who we are and your witnesses. You have seen us. You know us. He goes on. 1 Thessalonians 2.11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. God sets the lonely in families. This is what leaders ought to look like. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Hebrews 13, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Watch your leaders and do what they do, right? And all the leaders are like, ah, but it's not in you. It's in the strength that God gives you. And then 1 Corinthians 4, 17. For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So here's the big expectation you can have as members of DCF. If you become part of a, this church or any local church, the expectation is just what he said. He said, I want to remind you of how I live. So one of those things is you and I can have coffee. We'll have you over for dinner. We will connect with you. You can get to know me as a leader. I don't mind that at all. And my expectation is when you see that, you see the way I do what I do, you should imitate that. I, I want to grow in the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to grow in grace. Why? Because I, my expectation is you're going to imitate me and all the other elders and all the other deacons in our church, right? So how do you close this out? Simple. Um, the one requirement for being a member at DCF, is do you have a vital walk with the Lord, right? Are you following your leader? Are you the disciple following the rabbi and walking in his yoke as it's laid out in Scripture? Are you born again? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? If you haven't, whether you become a member of our church, local church or not, I urge you to make that decision today. Don't wait. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. You can choose to lay your life down. It's what Scripture says. Lay your life down and pick up the life that Jesus gives you. So if you haven't done that, when we pray, would you pray that prayer as well? And just choose to become a member of the big C church, the family of God. And lastly, if you just have questions, maybe you've been at DCF for years and years and years, and you heard some of this, and you're like, I'm not sure about that. Actually, could we talk more about that? 100% yes. You can have a conversation with Karen and I. You can have a conversation with one of the other elders, some of the other deacons. We're happy to do that. Why? Because the biggest part of why we're doing this now is that we have such an expectation of growth that's coming. We realize that we must give clarity for who we are and what we do and why we do it. And that's what this class at some point is going to be a series of classes that we take every new person. Why? So we're all on the same page in the vision that God has called us to, to bring every bit of our strength, every bit of our, our passion, our heart, our gifts, stewardship, our commitment to community, all those things come to bear now 
to see the kingdom of God flourish in this city, in this region, and impact people for Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me? And I apologize again. I know I went a little bit long, but I wanted to wrap all those things up so we can get to what we're going into next week. Um, I want to talk about next week what it means for you to connect to your calling, how God has framed you and gifted you, and what that looks like, and then how you can then connect to the calling that is on this church. Amen? So Jesus, Lord, we just come and say, first of all, Lord, um, I want to I re- remember what it means to submit to you and make you the Lord. Lord, to remember that you are the rabbi. Lord, you are the teacher and I am the learner. And Lord, I just want to sit at your feet. I want to hear your voice. I want you to speak into me, Lord. I want to hear your voice about what to do and, and, and where transformation needs to occur, Lord. And then I want to lean into those things practically, see that happen and see spiritual growth occur. And so Jesus, I want to just give you my life. I want to submit to your lordship right here and right now. And I do that, Lord. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what you've done. And I just receive it in your name. Lord, as a believer, Lord, as we come together as a family, Lord, would you draw us even closer? Lord, would you make us even healthier? Would you give us even greater clarity about what you called us to and our responsibility and our authority most of all? And for that, Jesus, we say yes and amen. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, one of our grace teams is the prayer minister. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.